one and only Cliff Richard and the Hi, this is David Ghosty Wills, and welcome to episode 31 of the We Say Yeah podcast, a monthly unofficial Cliff Richard and the Shadows fan podcast where we review and discuss every single EP and LP in chronological order, except for months like this. This month, I'm joined by Babs Wilson who is Brian Licorice Locking's sister. She's written a wonderful book called Me and My Shadow, all about her brother's life in and out of music. But first, some reactions to our 2023 in review show with guest Mark Cunningham. Over on our Facebook page, which is also called We Say Yeah, Paul Dickinson writes in reference to a story I told about when I had dinner with Bruce Welch, and I noticed that Bill Wyman of the Rolling Stones was also at the restaurant, and he kept looking over at Bruce. I thought it was Bruce and I, but I think he was just looking at Bruce. Paul Dickinson writes, Bill Wyman was wondering why you don't have a podcast about him. Great show, as always. Thanks so much, Paul, and... Hey, maybe someday someone will do a Bill Wyman podcast. Why say Wyman? That'll be the that'll be the show. Actually, if you look, there are a number of really good Rolling Stones uh, podcasts out there. Dave Herbert writes in reference to Mark Cunningham and I suggesting that the new arrangement of Summer Holiday on the Cliff with Strings album has a Christmas feel to it. Dave writes, "Hi David, love the show as always. Thank you." As for the summer holiday slash Christmas holiday song, you may or may not be aware, but Cliff and the Shads did an arrangement of this at the start of the Wish Upon a Wishbone TV Christmas show of 1965. Wow, Dave, I am very impressed that you could summon up this information. Talk about an obscurity. And it's one of the great things about the Facebook page. If you haven't followed the Facebook page, I'm putting in a plug here for the page. So many listeners comment with minutiae like this, and it really helps to capture the history that we're discussing on the on the podcast. So if you haven't followed us on Facebook, oh, by all means, please do and please participate. Our friend Dagmar Guttel writes, I think I've got that right, right? Do I have that pronunciation correct? Dagmar writes, what a wonderful podcast. Enjoyed every second of it. Brought back all the lovely memories I have about the Blue Sapphire Tour. Simply outstanding. I wasn't aware that so many of us had problems with getting there. Me too. So all in all, it made it so very unique, and I didn't want to miss even one second. Concerning Cliff's new book and album, Mark and you just summed it up perfectly. Great. And a new album with acoustic guitar songs would be one we're all waiting for for so long. A Christmas compilation would be fine, but just for commercial or chart reasons. Thanks again. All the best. Stay healthy and well. Look forward to listening to your next show. Thanks so much, Dagmar. And I guess if there is going to be a Christmas compilation at some point, that version of Christmas holiday should be on it. Maybe they can clean it up with a little AI technology. Not replace Cliff with a machine or anything like that, but, you know, do something with it. Give it a little more clarity. Well, the next episode is here, but before we move on, as promised, a few more Cliff and or The Shadows tribute and novelty songs to mention. Both Jan Eastaw and Phil Goodwin told me about this song, My Cliff Richard, 
by a singer from the 80s or 90s who called herself Doris. I don't know much about Doris, other than I guess she's following in the footsteps of one-named pop singers like Madonna. But here she is with my Cliff Richard. Jim Nugent suggests My Quiff is Stiff by Cadillac Attack, a song which is sung from the perspective of a Shadows fanatic. My glasses are thick. My quiff is stiff. My tie is straight. But it's way, way too long. Shadows. I really think the shadows solos. I love to hear the solos. Dan Easton and Tim Cooper as well mentioned Silver Singer by Kennett Valley School from 1983. And finally, Tim Cooper again told us about Hot Licks by The Silhouettes. Now, I hesitate to call this a disco medley of Shadows hits, but it's very similar to the Dutch group Stars on 45 and their Beatles hits medley, which came out at the same time, actually, 1981. My thanks once again to anybody and everybody who contacts me either through email at wesayyeahpodcast at gmail.com or on Facebook at wesayyeah or on x slash Twitter at wesayyeahpod. And please, please, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts because it really does help attract new listeners. Do you know that if you search the words Cliff Richard or The Shadows on Apple Podcasts, this show doesn't even turn up on the list of results. That's why these reviews are so important. I should say these positive reviews. <laughs> if you want to leave a positive review, please do. All right. Let's talk about this month's program about Brian Licorice Locking with his sister, Babs Wilson. Now, just like last year, when we had a special episode about Jet Harris and Tony Meehan with Mark J. Daniels, we're at that point in the chronology of our reviews where Licorice Locking begins to leave the story. So I figured we should dedicate an episode to him. Although, as I'm starting to learn more and more about the Shadows over the year, the Shadows are like the Mafia. You know, you you think you're leaving the group, 
But don't be surprised if at some point in the future you're suddenly pressed into service and for one reason or another you're sharing the stage with the shadows once again. I began by asking Babs how this book came together. Was it part memoir written by Licorice Locking, part biography by Babs? Well, sort of, yes. His friend uh, is a close friend. He's in one of his bands. He was a drummer, Dave Harrison. And he, it was him that said to Brian, why don't you write a book? Brian says, no, no, won't be interested in me, you know. And he says, you know, the word of all your experience and everything. So my brother used to live in Wales and David, uh, his friend, used to visit him. And he said, talk to me and we'll write everything down. And he said, well, I don't want it in the book, he says. I don't mind you writing it down. Mm. He never really had an idea of having a book. I think he just he thought everybody was going to know his private business, you know. He... Right, right. <laughs> anyway, David, thankfully, did write things down. Now, I didn't know about this. So after Brian died, I thought I would love to write a book on Brian, you know, just things I knew about him and everything. I'd half written it. And then this David Harrison, Brian's friend, in the meantime had died, but I was in contact with his wife. And I was talking to his wife and he said, did you know of all the things that David had written about Brian? I says, no, I didn't know anything. He says, well, he's got it all written down. He says, I can't do anything with it. He says, what can I do? I'm no good at writing books and things. So he said, would you like it? I said, oh, yes, please. So that was it. I scrapped half of what I'd written and I used what David had written, plus my bits as well, obviously. And I've got hundreds of photos of Brian anyway, uh, in the shadows and personal photographs and documents and things. So, yeah, it was nice. Actually, I, I put too many photographs in the book and I couldn't. I said, oh, no, you can't put all them in. So I think I could write about half a dozen books, really, on him if I wanted to. <laughs> well, one of the things I really love about the book, not only do we have Brian's own words, and we've got your memories of Brian, but there are so many stories told by people who worked with Brian and were friends with Brian, yeah. people from all of these bands in this latter half of, of Brian's life, groups like the Rapiers or the Two Ice Coffee Band from Denmark, all of these uh, musicians with their great stories about Brian. It's so great that you added that to uh, the book. Yes, yes, yes. I just felt people should know because he got so many friends asking me questions and different things. And so I thought it was just, you know, nice to put it in. And, and I'm still all friends with his friends as well. They're absolutely amazing. You know, kept supporting me and uh, sending me music and oh it's just wonderful and if i get to see any of the gigs or go and meet some of brian's friends it's lovely it's just a fantastic friendship i've made lots of new friends that i didn't even know brian had got you know they're, they're absolutely wonderful oh that's lovely you, you know i see here in the book you've got them grouped by you've got friends from italy and friends yeah, from france yeah. here we're in contact with uh, jerry lorden's wife um, she she's a French lady and she lives in England 
and we, we we're in contact with her as well so she's a lovely lovely lady i haven't visited her yet but we we're due to go down and visit her sometime and um and of course, it was a husband wanted that wrote a patch in or a lot of other shadow yes, things. Yes, of course. So let me ask about you for a moment here. Growing up, what was your interest in music like? Did you play an instrument? Were you just a <laughs> fan of music? My interest in music was a little toy mouth organ I had when I was about four year old. And uh, Brian used to say, oh, I bet I could get a tune out of that. And he did. <laughs> and that's how he started his harmonica life. Oh, okay. Toy mouth organ. Well, it served him well because it, it couldn't have been that much longer that um, he met up with Vince Eager. Of course, he wasn't Vince Eager at the time. No, his name was real name was Roy Taylor. Yeah. Yeah. But it was when he was with Vince, that's when he got the nickname Licorice. Can you tell us the story of how he got that nickname? Well, he was in the Vagabonds in Grantham. And they used to get local gigs around and about, you know, with the skiffle group. This is when Brian played the uh, sweeping brush, you know, with it on the box. That used to be his bass uh, guitar. And I was going to a local uh, place on the coast called Skegness to a, for a gig. And they all got this old jalopy van that they used to ride about in. Anyway, halfway up to Skegness, they decided, oh, we're going to have a coffee in the coffee bar, a, a place called Boston. It's halfway between Grantham and, and Skegness. Right, when coffee bars were the hub of teenage activity. Yeah, it was a proper coffee bar like they used to have years ago with the espresso coffee. And then there's a joke shop next door. Oh, let's all go in the joke shop and have a look, you know, have a bit of fun. And they all picked up these toy instruments. One had a saxophone. The other had a little toy guitar. Uh, Brian had a clarinet. I can't remember what the others had. Anyway, they were all messing about in the van going from Boston to Skegness or playing all these instruments, you know, pretending there was a, a band, a different sort of band. And then as I got nearer to Skegness, they all stopped playing, but Brian didn't. Now he had to carry on with his clarinet, you know, playing and the driver said, will you shut that bloody licorice stick up, please? Because that's what clarinets were called, <laughs> licorice sticks. And then uh, when Vince Eager went on to the show that night in Skegness, he introduced Brian as Brian Licorice Lockin because of oh, this licorice stick that he was playing. And that's it. It just stuck after that. Everybody called him licorice after that. Okay. <laughs> So that's it. <laughs> so so was your family supportive? Were they excited for Brian when oh, he yeah. started pursuing music? Oh God. Oh we was we were felt like famous film stars in our little local town. Well, it was when he was with the Shadows, obviously. But I mean he left home with Vince Eager and rock and roll skiffle and all that. Vince Eager went his own way, obviously, because he was a really good solo singer. My name should be Trouble My name should be Woe For trouble and heartache Is all that I know Yes, lonely, lonely blue boy my name 
and they all the group split up. But Brian loved it in London at the Two Eyes, and he loved meeting all the people and all the musicians, and you know, got on so well with everybody. That's how we met Marty Wilde. Well, it's a darn good life, and it's kind of funny how the bee was made and the bee made honey and the honey bee looking in the far home. What made a little honeycomb so they combed the world and they. Then there was the Shadows, Hank and Bruce. They were all just local starving musicians, you know, just loved the music. They didn't care. Um, well, they didn't get much money at that time. They just loved the music and entertaining people. And then he met Eddie Cochran, and, well, that was his highlight, I think, meeting Eddie Cochran. He absolutely and adored it, him. Yeah, it, it was Eddie Cochran who wanted Brian to work with him, right? That's right. He wanted Brian to go uh, to uh, America and do some recording with him. They, they got on really well. But, yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Can I tell you about my visit to what used to be the Two Eyes Coffee Bar? Yes, please <laughs> do. Yeah, I, that's somewhere I want to go. As everybody knows, it's famously a fish and chips shop now. Yeah. Um, when I was in London, I said, I have to do this. I have to squeeze in a trip. This is such an important place in the history of yeah. British rock. I have to go inside. I, I can't not go inside. So... I cross the street, I open the door, and they do have little signs and pictures up in the restaurant that it used to be, the Two Ice Coffee Bar. Yeah. And the waiter came over to me, and he said, oh, would you like a table? And I held my hands up, and I said, I, I came 3,000 miles from the United <laughs> States. I just, <laughs> I just want to be inside. Do you mind if I take some photos? He said, no, go ahead. I'm sure the people that were eating were thinking, <laughs> what is going on here? Um, and I know that really it's the basement. That's where yeah. all the music was being made. So I went down the steps and they had photos of people who never actually played the two eyes, like Barry Manilow or whatever. Oh, <laughs> but, that's um, a bit unfair, isn't it? I know. <laughs> so I'm taking these photos and I'm going down these legendary steps. Wow. And I'm taking pictures. Now, I didn't realize that they had turned that into the toilets. Oh, so, no. So I was taking the photos and with my phone, I'm videoing and everything. <laughs> and <laughs> just, just as I got down the steps and I realized what I, I was looking at, there was a a man who came out of the gents and gave me a strange <laughs> look, you know, and for obvious reasons. Because why was I taking video of the toilets? Somebody <laughs> did not get arrested. <laughs> right, and I immediately put the phone. Put the phone away. And I thought, I guess I'm going to have to use this toy. Even if I don't have to go, I'm going to have to use it because why else would I be done? That was my experience with the two eyes. Oh, bless you. I hope that it can someday be turned into a museum or maybe a club again at some point. Uh, it should. Yeah. It should. I mean, did you, did, I don't know if you saw, well, I did put in the book about when, when they put the sign up to say, what, you know, the plaque. Right. They used to have a plaque up. And uh, they had Cliff Richard, all the shads there, all the people, rock and rollers that used to be there years ago. It was an amazing day. And now what's happened? Someone's pinched the plaque. Well, I can. So, here's what I can tell you. The plaque is back. Is it? Yes. 
but they put it so <laughs> high up, it's like on the second or third floor of the building. Oh. So if you don't know to look up, it's very strange. Oh, that's awful. We're rocking at the two eyes. We're rocking at the two eyes. We're rocking at the two eyes. We won't be on tonight. Everybody rock now. Let's go. Did you ever get to see Brian perform live with Marty Wilde and the Wildcats or maybe see him on TV performing? Well, I didn't actually see him on television until he was in the shadows. Uh, the first time I saw him was at the Royal Variety performance when Cliff and the Shadows were on. That's the first time I actually saw him on television. Never saw him personally uh, perform, only towards the end of his time with them when they uh, went to Blackpool. That's the only time I ever saw him live in a show. But, of course, the film Summer Holiday had come out as well, hadn't it? Right. So um, it was like film stars in Grantham. When the uh, premiere came out at the local cinema, well, you'd have thought royalty had visited Grantham. It was wonderful. We were showered with chocolates and champagne and best seats in the house, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody used to say, can you get the Shadows autographs, please? Because uh, I was hounded with people to get autographs. <laughs> oh, right, yeah. I used to send me some. Yes, you would have been at that age that where you would have been the go-to person to get autographs. Yeah, especially because I was only 11, you see. I was at secondary school. Well, I was so popular, you know, when I, when Brian used to send me pictures with autographs on until the headmistress came and uh, tore all, all my uh, autographed pictures up because she didn't believe She thought music was sin. It, it was evil if you liked pop music. You know, she was that sort of person. And she tore all my pictures up in the playground. <laughs> That's so terrible. I used to get... <laughs> She must have ripped up thousands of dollars worth of autographs. She did. She made a right song and dance about it. Uh, oh, I was made to feel I was the worst person in the world, you know. Oh, that's <laughs> awful. You know, I've often talked about it on this podcast, just how busy the Shadows were. Compared to any other group during the 60s, the Shadows had double the workload, you know, when you think about it, because... Yeah. They have the recordings with Cliff, the personal appearances with Cliff, the TV shows, the movies. Then they've got their own career happening at the same time with their own albums and EPs and singles and live performances just on their own. But as you write in the book, when Brian had a chance, he came home. He did, yes. He loved his home. He loved coming home to Grantham. And me and Brian got on so well. Yeah, oh, we was everything to each other, you know, we... I couldn't wait for him to come home, and he, he used to love coming home to his own cooked meals because my mum was a fantastic cook. And I, he never used to eat properly when he was out on tour. And my mum always used to worry, you know, oh, you're not eating enough, but you need to put a bit more weight on, you know. But Brian's so busy with his music, he doesn't have time to eat. It's just like that. But when he came home, well, he ate everything he was put in front of him. And because he travelled, he never drove, he travelled on the train, and uh, we used to, mum used to pack him up with loads of food to take back with him, you know. <laughs> and <laughs> yes, he did come home quite often, and he used to bring his all his laundry home as well with him. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's typical. I do that to my mother too. So, 
Brian was good, but he never used to look after himself personally. He just wanted to do music, and that was all he was interested in, you know? Mm. So he used to love it when he used to come home and catch up with everything. Do you have a favorite Shadows track that Brian played on? My favorite one is Dance On, because uh, it was my dad's favorite as well. And But I loved them all, you know. <laughs> I love all Shadows music. I never get tired of listening to it. On this podcast, we often talk about how instrumental, no pun intended, uh, the shadows were on the Beatles. Oh, yeah. When he was in the shadows, the uh, the manager, Brian Epstein of the Beatles, with his group, it took, it took them to see the shadows in concert. And of course, the shadows always played in uh, suits, didn't they? Yeah. And his group didn't at the time. The Beatles didn't play in suits. And they said, now this is what and Brian Epstein said to the lads, this is how I want you to look in the show. I want you to all wear suits. And, of course, they did, didn't they, with the Beatles haircuts and everything. So, yeah, so it was through the shadows that they used to wear these suits. Brian Epstein took them to the shadows tailor, Doug Millings. He's the oh. one who, yeah, he's the one who made the suits for them. Wow. And shortly after Brian leaves the shadows, he plays on one of the most famous hit records anyone's ever recorded and it's a big favorite of well the singer's a big favorite of yours he played on donovan's catch the wind to feel you all around me and to take your hand along the sand i bet i may as well try and catch the wind when sundown pales the sky to hide a while behind your smile and everywhere I'd look your eyes oh yes I never knew oh dear he said oh yeah I went played with Donovan I said what Donovan my goodness me he's only my biggest heartthrob you know I was in love with him <laughs> and I said I could have got to meet him if I'd have known. <laughs> yes, yes, more autographs to, to be torn up at school. I did get to meet him though. <laughs> oh, okay. I got to meet him a few years ago and my friend said, go and talk to him and tell him about your brother. I said, he won't know him. He says, go on, go and talk to him. So stop me in the queue, so, you know, meeting him. And I mentioned Brian. Oh, I know Brian. He said he was great, mate. And he stood up and he said to everybody, I'd like you to meet my friend's sister, Brian Lee Chris Lockett. He was on my first record, Catch the Wind. Oh, I felt, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> it was red as a beetroot. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. Yeah, it was lovely. You know, we haven't really talked about this on the podcast in fact we really don't get into you know the personal lives of the group unless it's something that directly affects 
the music or causes someone to leave the group and a new member comes in. But in Brian's case, it's very, very interesting because here are the shadows who are touring around the country and they're on the tour bus talking about what young musicians talk about. But the subject of religion comes up and it's really Cliff who at that time, just to give everybody a little bit of a backstory, Cliff's father had recently died. Right. And Cliff was bereft, as you could imagine, right? Yeah. And he was so desperate for, I guess, some kind of closure that he considered seeing a spirit medium to contact his father in the great beyond. And really, it was Brian who told him, no, you cannot do that. If you look at scripture, that's the occult. You shouldn't have anything to do with that. And it's really Brian's commitment to the Jehovah's Witnesses that sends Cliff down this spiritual path, and eventually Cliff becomes a born-again Christian, not a Jehovah's Witness, but it's really through Brian's influence that Cliff takes that first step. And it's also that very serious commitment to his faith that caused Brian to want to leave the shadows at the peak of their popularity. I mean, Cliff was the biggest star in the country. The shadows were the most successful group. They had just done a big movie in summer holiday. Everybody all over the country knew who Brian licorice locking was. And he walks away from it all i mean was it was it like partly the pressures of it and partly his commitment to his yeah, religion yeah it was i mean um it'd been through a lot you know and it, i think it was the brian bennett's mother that uh got him first interested into the witness what they call the witnesses and he just felt he had to go that way you know and um and he got more and more interested in it, and he got a lot of support from them because it, it was under pressure with the shadows and things, you know, all the things I had to go through. And I think it helped him to uh, look at what what was important in life, you know, not just stardom and that sort of thing. I mean, he was just a down-to-earth lad anyway. Right, right. He just lived for his music, basically. He wasn't bothered about all the stardom side of it. He loved people, he loved meeting people, but he didn't like being put on a pedestal. Anyway, this religion suited him, and he got deeper and deeper into it, uh, and uh, he preferred that sort of life to all the uh, stresses and hassles that he got with stardom or whatever you call it. He said, I want to devote my time to my religion now. I feel it's the right thing to do. But he... After he did leave and make the move, he was still with a group. He was still with his friends playing music, but in local pubs where nobody really knew him much. And he was very happy with that. And then he moved up to Wales and uh, he sort of devoted his whole life to his religion. He was like a pastor in that sort of religion. And his music went by the board a little bit until this person persuaded him to go into it more deeper into his music and and he found he got a happy medium then with his religion and his music so he is quite happy with life after that 
he just loved playing for people. He didn't care where he was. He, he would go to a coffee shop. He always carried his harmonica with him wherever he went. And then he said, do you think they'd like to hear me playing? I said, well, try it. And he just, just loved entertaining, you know, anywhere, anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> and, your, and your book tells the remarkable story of his comeback to music on a much grander scale when he started appearing on these Shadows events. I mean, he was really in demand. Yeah, oh, I, yeah, yeah, he certainly was. I mean, it went out, out of it for years and years, and then one of his old musician friends contacted him and uh, said, we'd like you to join the show with Bruce Welsh. And, oh, right, and then after that, it, the sky was the limit. He was everywhere. Yeah, Germany, uh, Norway, Denmark, in England. He was going everywhere, like as an ambassador. And, you know, it's absolutely amazing. Yeah. So <laughs> he had a busier life at that time than he did when he was in the shadows, I think. And there's so many great <laughs> stories in the book about his interactions with fans. He really enjoyed meeting with fans. Oh, definitely. Oh, he did. It was just so lovely with everybody. The only thing is you used to give everybody hugs and it practically hugged you to death. If you got one of his hugs, so you'd never get another one like it. <laughs> <laughs> no, he was. He was definitely a people's person, yeah. Well, one of my favorite stories in the book is about the time that Brian was at some event in a hotel where they have these different ballrooms and things are happening in these different areas. And he was you know, obviously part of this big music area, and he was walking around. He he did this, I should back up. He did this thing called the chicken walk, right, where he would do this. Oh, yes. <laughs> this kind, kind of ridiculous chicken-like walk to uh, amuse everybody. Well, he noticed he was passing through one of these rooms, and he noticed a bunch of people sitting with dour expressions on their faces, and he thought he would cheer <laughs> them up. So he actually went and did yes. this chicken walk through the room and everybody was looking at him aghast. And it, it turned out later that it was actually a funeral uh, <laughs> procession or a wake or something. Oh, dear. I'd, I'd like to be the fly on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> it was always mucking about, making people laugh and doing silly things, you know. <laughs> they loved him. <laughs> so... As we mentioned, there are contributions in the book from these wonderful musicians who became friends of Brian's, and he performed with them, and he recorded with them, and these relationships, it kind of gave him a whole new lease on life. Yes, they all looked after him really well. He never got the pressure like he did when he was, you know, with the shots and everything. They were just friends. They were all friends. And they're still playing, and they're still as popular, especially in uh, Denmark and Norway and France. Uh, and they just looked after him beautifully, and they stayed friends with me. And, and I've been over to a couple of meetings since, you know, and seen them, and absolutely wonderful. It's wonderful the music's still going strong, stronger than it is in this country, I think, uh, over there. I mean, you know, and there's all these people playing the Shad's music or something similar. Um, and there is in this country as well, we've got the bootleg shadows, and we've got other shadows groups, 
and they're just great honestly the the standard of playing is wonderful and you know it's nice that people are still interested in going along to this sort of music as well it's lovely honestly the atmosphere it's like the old times used to be you know probably from the two eyes coffee bar and local pubs and things it's lovely i know that you mentioned it a few times in this interview that he didn't really look after himself and it it sounds like things happened very quickly it did yes yes he never wanted to be poorly. It wouldn't be if it was poorly. He wouldn't go to a doctor or anything like that. You know, he used to get have to get somebody. Say, now, come on, I think you should get seen to. You know, I mean, you know, he's asthmatic, and you could play all that and that harmonica, and uh, and and we never realised. And we was playing one day because my husband's asthmatic, and he said, Brian, I says, I think you've got a problem there. You know, with your breathing. Oh, uh, he says, I have a bit. I says, well, go to your doctor and get some proper treatment. He says, well, what can they do? I says, well, they can give you an inhaler or something. And after that, he did go to a doctor, got proper inhalers, proper treatment. And he was a lot better, after, felt a lot better after that. So it's thanks to Dave that, you know, he got himself sorted so he could play his harmonica for a few more years. Before Brian died, he had been planning to come back home to Grantham, right? Yeah, we, we'd made plans for ages to come back to Grantham. He said, no, I'm not quite ready yet. Well, when he got diagnosed with his cancer, I said, look, I said, you really ought to come home. He says, do you know, I will. I will, he says. And I says, I says, we'll be near us. We can come and see you or whatever, you know. You have a little flat on your own. He says, I would love that, he said, to come back to Grantham and be with my friends again. And that's what we was going to plan to do. But obviously the cancer took hold and that was it, which is unfortunate, really. But there you go. But at least we did get to spend some lovely time with him while he was poorly. Well, the book is a wonderful tribute to him. And if someone listening to this, and I would imagine anybody listening to this, would definitely be interested in getting the book, where would they go to do that? Well, they can either email me and I'll send them over, uh, contact me, or they can get it on Amazon. I think they sell it in, uh, you can order it from certain bookshops in the UK. Okay. Um, if they want, if anybody would like one, please. I'm happy to send anyone my email. Just set, just contact me. Uh, and I could tell them various means they could get to get the book or I can send it personally with a signature. A signature, I know, makes me feel famous, that does. Right. <laughs> I've never had to sign anything in my life apart from <laughs> checks. <laughs> <laughs> so in other words, people can just friend up with you on Facebook and send you a message through there to contact yeah, you. Yeah, find me on Facebook, yeah. Facebook email. 
TikTok. Sure. (laughs) Instagram. Wow. Okay. So there are plenty of ways, plenty of ways to, uh, to get in contact with you and to get this wonderful book, Me and My Shadow, by our guest today, Babs Wilson. Yeah, I just want to ask one thing. Uh, why do they call you ghosty? Hmm, okay. I'll, t- I'll <laughs> tell you that story. Uh, very quickly, years ago when I first started out in radio, you had to pick a pseudonym as your DJ name. Most people choose like a first name and then another first name as their DJ name, like Ed Edwards or Ron Ronalds or something. And I was just thinking, well, you know, my voice is coming out of all of these different speakers and all of these different homes that are listening to me and maybe their car radio or whatnot. So I'm like a ghost that's haunting them. So that's how I came up with the name Ghosty. Ah, uh, right, right. Nothing sinister then. <laughs> <laughs> My thanks once again to Babs Wilson for appearing on the show. And if you want to find out more about her book, as we mentioned, there are plenty of ways. But the email address is babswilson43 at googlemail.com. Next month, we're back into the shadows once again. We're going to be talking about an album that features a couple of tracks that Licorice Locking plays on, even though he wasn't in the group at the time of the album's release. It's the album Dance with the Shadows, and our guest will be Ian Purden, one of the moderators of the Shadow Music Message Board. This will be an interesting discussion because Ian has lived with this album for many, many decades, whereas I only heard Dance with the Shadows a week ago. So you'll get his learned perspective and my fresh one. Anyway, thanks so much for listening, and uh, we'll see you next month.